Hi, I'm Michael Truly, the producer of Night Drive. Uh, typically, you hear Horace Wexler on the show and much less of me, but technically, things like this aren't required in his contract with KFAK, and so he's politely refused to do this. So, it falls to me. So let me say hello to all you new listeners that may have found us over the break, and a happy new year to all of our old listeners who have been here uh, maybe since the beginning. That happy new year can also retroactively apply to all you new listeners as well. In fact, you know what? Let's just go ahead and spread that happy new year around to anyone who's living at this point in time so so nobody feels left out. We've had uh, a wonderful and much-needed holiday break here in Fakahatchee after the mayoral election. We're all rested up and going back into production, so new episodes will resume on the 13th of this month. You'll notice uh, station management has moved us to a Wednesday morning time slot now. Uh, My understanding is that Horace had complained about not being able to do activities on the weekend. When pressed on what those activities might be, he said, get off my damn back, just activities, normal human activities. So say hello to your new midweek show that airs every other week. We'll see you then. Now, some of the older listeners, the ones that are 97 and 98 years old, have requested a a bit of a recap of what's happened in Fakahatchee over the last year. So fair warning, spoilers will abound after a short break. Uh, I encourage new listeners to listen from the beginning as this will hardly be comprehensive. And and to be honest, who can remember all of 2020 anyway? And and sometimes, do you even want to? Uh, I encourage you to check out the wildly incomplete wiki if you have further questions, or or maybe even better, feel free to contribute if you know something that's important that isn't included here. Um, that would be fantastic. So, here we go. Here's the story of Fakahatchee up through December 2020. Fakahatchee was originally settled a long time ago by the Fakahatcha tribe, a tribe of Native Americans who lived in the area who would build small swamp huts by baking mud against the branches of mangrove trees in the hot Florida sun. They believed that in the beginning, everything was light, until the great gator in the sky ate everything but the earth, stopping only upon hearing the earth's cry for mercy. The stars are crumbs of everything that came before, and the moon is a bit the gator burped up from indigestion. In the 1500s, the Spanish turned up claiming Florida for Spain and stomped around a while looking for the Fountain of Youth, which wouldn't be discovered until centuries later, where it would go on to be branded as Mountain Dew, but then filled with so many chemicals, it actually did the opposite of what it was supposed to. The Spanish and the Fakahatcha tribe got along decently well. At one point, the Spanish built a mission and the walls were like two feet over the property line, but the Fakahatch let it slide because they were too polite to say anything. And, well, that was kind of their downfall because then a bunch of white people showed up and took advantage of their kindness. The town of Fakahatchee proper was established in 1885. It was a bustling little burg, and it had a couple of mayors who were dogs in the mid-20th century. One, Champ Heidelberg, was a very, very good boy. And the other, Mayor Ladybug, spent the entire city budget on fire hydrants and was swatted on the snout for it with impeachment papers. Dog mayors are no longer allowed. More recently, Duck Winters, a local businessman, wanted to open a second gator farm in a parcel of land right next to Beauregard Elementary School and got his buddy, city councilman Richard Baysbond, to help push it through the public vote, which made a lot of people upset for a number of different reasons, including Archie Dower, a local peeper and soup aficionado, who lost his peep and holler when the vote passed. 
Fakahatchee's mayor, Luis Vamanos, no stranger to controversy himself, used his executive power to ban all ghosts, spooks, and poltergeists from the town. While the town was divided on whether this was a good thing, it was also divided on whether these beings actually existed. Many, like Fanny McFattenbog, thought those spirits were doing good work in keeping meth heads out of local buildings, and started PeopleForGhosts.com to help these potential spirits. It also discouraged many of the traveling paranormal investigators to look elsewhere, depriving the town of potential revenue. The Shonies closed around this time for reasons still unknown, depriving Fakahatchee of a much-beloved breakfast spot and just absolutely terrific lunch specials. Just the kind that you would sit down and just have a have a nice lunch in a in a booth that's it's not leather. It's gonna stick to your skin because you're wearing shorts and all that leg skin is gonna stick to that booth. It, but it just the best lunch specials. The town was getting by when it was suddenly hit by a wave of crime. A man who came to be known as the Lobster King would burst into high-end restaurants in an overcoat, reach into the aquariums, grab a bunch of lobsters, and then tape them to himself and flee out into the streets. Some thought he was a menace, but others saw him as a Robin Hood figure, for he'd often share his ill-gotten gains. The trial of the Lobster King was easily the civic event of the century, with many turning out to witness the proceedings, expecting a party that never came. Rioting was feared, and city councilman Richard Baysbont encouraged everyone to accept the results of the trial and stay calm. It was a high-profile case for attorney Mike Hammer, and he blew it. The Lobster King now sits in jail. The U.S. government proceeded to move into the Shonies, at this point erecting barriers to keep out the general public. Random power outages in the town began, accompanied by large flashes of light. During one such outage, a man's severed leg was discovered on Main Street. It was cleanly shorn from the body. Fingers were pointed, many at duck winners, as it seemed like something the gators at his gator farms might have done. A deputy in chain mail was assigned to sift through gator shit to find out if that was the case. Sheriff Bud Nichols was hesitant to release the leg into the finder alleyway Steve's custody, but lacking in evidence of a crime, a victim missing a leg, or a legal statute to prevent it, uh, he had to sign off on the leg. So not one to look a dead leg in the mouth, alleyway Steve, the hard-biting bane of people cutting through back alleys, saw a chance to make a quick buck and began charging people to see the leg, going on to include it in a nice little show that everyone agreed made the ticket price worth it, and at the very least, uh, he wasn't jumping out of dumpsters and biting them on the ankle anymore. Some parents were worried this might kick off a new fad among the youth who would start possessing or sharing extra legs, and the sheriff encouraged anyone who might possess a third leg to let them know and come in to get it licensed. The first fight in the alley behind Hank's old Arby's that's not legally an Arby's began around this time. It would swell in popularity to a community event that would come to be known as the Wednesday Night Boomer Brawls. The Million Mommies showed up in Fakahatchee to protest the mayor's anti-ghost legislation, and also to have a really nice long brunch, which turned violent when the Prosecco ran out. The firebombs and Molotovs burned parts of the town. But the big disaster was when everyone looked to Mayor Luis Vaminos, and he couldn't be found because he was hiding in his panic room like a coward. A cult candle shop, I Sense Things, burned down, and briefly, the town smelled amazing. Just absolutely gort, like your nostrils were filled with flowers. They committed to rebuild. The mayor's hiding was just another bullet point in a long line of complaints against him. The final bullet point would be an expose by Shelby Higginbottom in the Fakahatchee Gazette about the mayor selling all of the local school buses to a demolition derby. 
and pocketing the money. Sure, it gave us Demolition Derby Plus.xyz, a hot new streaming service with all the best smashes and crashes, but petitions started being passed for a recall election as a full accounting of the mayor's executive orders weighed on the town. Some, like if you were touching a jet ski you had to be topless, were mostly innocuous. But others, like prohibiting opening umbrellas because they made it seem like a giant bat was attacking, were annoying. Uncontent with the idea of a recall election, some people began searching Wikipedia about tarring and feathering when, amongst the slew of other bad legislation, it was revealed that the mayor had outlawed feeding the ducks. But one thing the town could rally around, middle-aged widower Chuck Robinson, who quickly became a bit of a celebrity at the Wednesday Night Boomer Brawl, behind Hank's old Arby's that's not legally an Arby's. Chuck's string of bloody knockdowns brought everyone around to meet and shake his hand and grab a bizarre fresh sandwich, or to challenge him next to the dumpster. And Hank Bertram assured us that even with a global horseradish shortage, he had plenty of barrels of Hank's old Arby's not legally horsey sauce. Then, while the erotic Potter's Cabal was celebrating Mermaid Month with their sexually charged ceramics, Father Michael Petrie of St. Jerome's grew fed up with the string of misfortune the town had experienced, so he went to the local airport and hijacked a crop duster and blessed the water inside. Then he began flying low over the town, spraying it with holy water. This, of course, caused a panic. Some who were afraid of water panicked harder than others, and also worried about potential snakes who might have been baptized. Others were excited for a free car wash. So very few people were paying attention when the US government closed the entire Shoney strip mall, including the Sokin Suds, deeming the whole area off limits. Mayor Luis Vaminos was growing angrier and angrier about the impending recall election, yelling at constituents and ranting on the radio about the trade-offs he'd had to make for the town, and then one day, suddenly, he was gone. Sheriff Bud Nichols expected they would find the mayor, though he would likely be dead, and while he didn't want to call it a murder case yet, there were definitely plenty of people on his list of potential suspects who might have wanted to see the mayor gone. So the town kept their eye out for the missing mayor. He had been seen helped into a black suburban, and before that he had been over at the Spanctuary, Florida's sexiest church, five years running, where Father Jonah likely does his best to administer drink specials to his flock. Father Jonah found the mayor to be troubled, but was unable to share any of what happened in the confession booth champagne room. Is there anything better than an American success story? Well, that's embodied best in the rise of Tucker St. Clair, the undisputed king of Scud energy drink. That's Scud with five Ds, a shotgun blast of energy and 70 plus flavors like Saudi Sunset, Chernobyl Crush, and America Juice. With his brash attitude, he left other competitors like Cryptozoic Energy in his dust, and all while starting from humble beginnings, where he began mixing Scud up in his bathtub. But with a little under-the-table help from Mayor Luis Vaminos, he had grown it into a full-fledged empire, and no one in Fakahatchee hasn't sipped a Scud at one point or another. But a couple of the flavors, like purple and tender kisses, had unexpected side effects and were reported to result in visual hallucinations. Sightings of the Fakahatchee Lobsterman, a rumored half-human lobster hybrid that roams the swamps, skyrocketed, and one resident who had been pounding an especially virulent homebrewed mix of purple and tinder kisses called into Night Drive to talk about the wild lights and screaming he had seen at the Shoney's, including men in white suits wheeling away a screaming man before he woke up in his own bed the next morning, missing his pants. 
Around this time, the town mourned the loss of a good man and a better fighter, when Chuck Robinson was choked to death with a bike chain by a soccer coach behind Hank's old Arby's that's not legally an Arby's. He was survived by a 1969 Pontiac GTO. And while the town dealt with their grief, they also dealt with an infestation of murder geese in a local park. And Horace dealt with being stuck with more than 100 high-quality coffee grinders by a shifty man named Dennis Leary who said he was not the actor. The spread of Mastica Ennui, more commonly known as Boardmouth, struck Fakahatchee, leaving some residents unable to taste flavors, no matter how bold or cool the packaging may promise the crunchy contents within are. But this was a blessing for some, as a horrid smell began wafting in from Abner Hogue Memorial Beach, where a pack of killer whales had run aground. While the town agreed something had to be done about the pack of killer whales, Fakahatchee was unsure of how to proceed. Some residents believed with a pile of meat that high, a potential fish fry was in order. Others worried they'd have to have difficult conversations with their children about death if something wasn't done. City Councilman Richard Baysbon was just disappointed the whales didn't have a nice golf course to die on, as the rest of the city council and Skeet Barlow hadn't signed off on his permit. A number of local teens began the hashtag whale slap challenge, where they would slap the skin of one of these carcasses bulging with gases in the hope of making it explode. But nobody in town expected the hunt for Mayor Luis Vaminos to end here inside the stomach of a killer whale where he was discovered by the sheriff's department after they had used a chainsaw to try to solve the whale problem. The body was identified by a couple of teeth in the shirt pocket and sported three bullet holes in the back of the head. Fakahatchee reeled at this news, and some of the mayor's close friends like Tucker St. Clair vowed retribution. His death also softened many opinions of him, and that maybe the mayor hadn't been quite so bad. And one determined influencer tried to start the hashtag mayor slap challenge. But while the town had been gearing up for a recall election, now it would just need to be a regular election to replace an elected official. A sad day for any municipality. And also they would need new ducks because no one had fed the old ones and the murder geese had killed the remaining stragglers. To everyone's shouts and cheers, beach rascal and ocean crooner Mikey Dussolet was acquitted for the killings of his ex-wife and her lover in a high-profile celebrity case known as the Daiquiri Killings. He announced his innocence at the Miami-Dade courthouse with a surprise album drop called Dry Land is Jail and poured drinks for all the jurors and attendees at the courthouse. But they weren't the only ones drinking. A slew of bars along William Bryden Avenue had been over-serving their elderly clientele, resulting in a police chase of one Royston bong donor astride a Zipparoo motorized scooter who hit a woman, before the scooter was shot to death by a sheriff's deputy. While problematic, it's only a symptom of a much larger issue with these so-called boomer brew halls and an elderly population who refuse to acknowledge or listen to rules they felt didn't apply to them, many of them forming packs of roaming gangs like the 8th Street Dust Kings and the T-Ball Walkers. The T stands for tennis. But the craziness on William Bryden Avenue was being echoed by many of the Mastica Ennui sufferers, driving some of them mad to taste flavor again. Dr. Leonard Skinny Scroggins assured the community he was doing everything he could, and even though they weren't sure what was causing it, they did somehow seem to have stopped the spread. But that was little comfort to people like Hot Sauce Man, who decided if he could no longer taste flavor, he would taste something, and that something would be fear, leaving what appears to be his first victim in a pool of hot sauce behind Baseball Mercantile. 
which would have been frightening in and of itself if all the power in town hadn't gone out mere seconds before the sky told a murderer to hold its beer and then screeched and belched blood all across Main Street, which fell as a bright pink mist. Richard Baysbon once again encouraged calm and caution from the residents of Fakahatchee, but couldn't help but acknowledge the need for a new mayor. Instead of a long drawn out election process, the mayor's seat would be decided by a live event. Hands on a hard desk, 2020. The last one to remove their hand from the desk would become Fakahatchee's new mayor. And over 40 aspiring leaders would throw their hand into the grueling event. Duck Winters was declared the winner until it was revealed that ocean alcoholic and tiki troubadour Mikey Dussolet was actually the last one to remove his hand, making him the new mayor of Fakahatchee, where he immediately declared instead of it being 5 o'clock somewhere, it was always going to be 5 o'clock right here, and anyone who didn't agree would suffer the consequences. And that is the entire history of Fakahatchee to this point. Except, of course, the parts I left out and forgot, and, you know, any sort of nuance was tossed straight into the wind where it blew away and stuck to someone's windshield, causing a car accident. But that car accident is not canon. And that's everything you need to catch up on Night Drive.